Good morning, everyone. Who's excited to leave here unchanged in exactly the same way that you came? Why snickers and laughs? Don't you expect to leave here exactly the same way that you came? No? You want to leave different? You want to leave changed? Well, then let's pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the work of your spirit. We thank you for your word because it's true and it's powerful. God, we want to grow in our faith. We want to see change and transformation in our lives. And we recognize that that is not going to happen unless your spirit moves in our hearts and in our minds to do that work. So God, we pray for open hearts, open minds, that your spirit would be at work in us today. That each one of us would be looking for the ways that you want us to grow and that by your spirit, you'd help us to take those steps of faith. So we pray for that. We pray for it for our good and we pray for it for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I like that. Thank you, Vivian. I mean, if you're going to say like to the preacher, can we say amen again? The preacher's going to be like, yeah, amen. <laughs> well, Mary Slessor was a missionary to Nigeria. She was born in 1948. She grew up in Scotland. At the age of 10 years old, she went to work in a textile mill. Uh, she had to because she had to help support her family because her father was an alcoholic who could not keep a job and who failed to provide and care for his family. As she grew up, she worked 12-hour days, and yet after those 12-hour days, she still found time to go to the worst part of town and to teach the Bible uh, to children and teenagers and to teach them how to read and write. But her heart was always in missions. Eventually, she was sent to Nigeria. She learned the language there and was one of the few missionaries who was willing to move inland from the coast so that she could have greater impact in the lives of the people of Nigeria. And she did. She grew to be so well respected by the native people that the British government made her the vice consul over the native court. She was the first woman to ever hold that position. But her focus was always on the gospel, which she shared with everybody that she met. She had a huge impact for the kingdom in that place. And once a friend asked her about, um, asked her for a testimony on prayer for a book that he was writing, and this is what uh, she said My life is one long, daily, hourly record of answered prayer for physical health, for mental overstrain, for guidance given marvelously, for errors and dangers averted, for enmity to the gospel subdued for food provided at the exact hour needed, for everything that goes to make up life and my poor service. I can testify with a full and often wonder-stricken awe that I believe God answers prayer. I know God answers prayer. She was convinced that it was the prayers of the saints back in Scotland that made her ministry possible. She did a great work for the Lord, but she did not do it alone. 
She was dependent on the support and the prayers of other Christians the entire time. You see, the gospel advances through the ordinary ministry of God's people working together for the truth. That's what we're going to see today in our text. So turn in your Bibles to 3 John, if you're not already there. This is our next little letter in our series on the little letters. And the message for us today is this. Give yourself to faithful, ordinary ministry to build the church. And we'll see three examples of faithful, ordinary ministry in our text today. So first, though, let's, let's just set the context. John is writing to a beloved friend named Gaius. Now, Gaius is a common name in the New Testament. In that time, that was a very common name. It's probably like Michael <laughs> is today. There was a Gaius of Macedonia who traveled with Paul. There was a Gaius of Derby. There was a Gaius of Corinth that Paul baptized and hosted the church in his house. So there's all these Gaiuses, and it's not likely that our Gaius is any of those guys. This is a different one. And all we know about him is what we learn about him in this letter. And we know he was a close friend of John's and that he was faithful in supporting Christian ministry. John calls him beloved four times in this short letter. And for Christians, this means more than just saying something like dear friend. Beloved, it is a heartfelt greeting, but it's also a reminder of the fact that God has chosen to set his love on you in Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that you are chosen and beloved by God. Like a child is loved by a good father, a dad who provides for and cares for and protects and trains and supports his children out of love, so our Heavenly Father does for us. So beloved reminds us of God's gracious, God's steadfast, God's unfailing love for us. With that context in mind, let's look at the first example here. You minister to others by prayer. We see this in verses 1 through 3. The first thing that John does in this letter is share how he's been praying for Gaius. One of the greatest ministries that you have is praying for others, what we call intercessory prayer. So look at verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Again, John uses this word beloved, and we see that prayer is motivated by love. This is a common theme in John's writing. We're seeing it again and again. He's always talking about loving one another. Love moves us to act on behalf of other people, and here we see that love moves us to pray for them. It is a cold heart that fails to pray for other people. What does John pray? He prays for two things, that all would go well with him and that he would be in good health. You might think, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Though it's a general prayer, it's a good prayer. It's honest and it's simple, as our prayers should be. It's faithful, not fancy. We are not heard for our many words or our high-sounding words. When we don't know exactly what to pray for, it's good to pray, you know what, God, watch over them, that everything may go well with them. We leave it to God to meet the person right at the point of their greatest need. And John also prays for his health, both body and soul. 
but I don't have to tell you to pray for people's health. We do that naturally. We do see a great example of that in our text today. But I think that we overemphasize health and safety in our culture. And so that can be often reflected in our prayers as well. Uh, Things are going well for Gaius, verse 2. He's in a good place physically and spiritually. He's walking in the truth. He's faithfully serving. But John doesn't take anything for granted. John doesn't say, well, you know what? Gaius is healthy and he's being faithful, so no need to pray for old Gaius. He's good. No, he's doing well and he still needs prayer. Perhaps maybe more so when he's running well. The fact is, is that we are in daily hourly need of God's grace. And we cannot live today on yesterday's grace. We're always dependent on the Lord, and so we always need to seek his help in prayer for ourselves and for others. John says, I pray for you because for I rejoice to hear that you're walking in the truth. In other words, it's my joy to hear that you're living in in the faith so I pray for you. One of the main reasons that we pray for other believers is so that they'll live their faith, so that they'll walk in the truth. We pray that God would provide everything that they need to serve him and follow him faithfully. And when it says they testified to your truth, it's like saying to your faithfulness. Gaius is one of those who is walking in the truth, and that brings him joy. It brings John joy, and that leads him to continue to pray for him, for his brother. But I want you to notice here the link between prayer and teaching. John doesn't just teach Gaius. He prays, and the same is true of Paul, and the same must be true of every single one of us in all of our disciple-making efforts. If you teach, E.M. Bounds said this, no learning can make up for the failure to pray. No earnestness, no diligence, no study, no gifts will supply its lack. That's a lesson for every pastor, parent, and teacher. Many of you homeschool or you send your kids to Christian school because you want them to have a Christian education, a Christian worldview. That's great. That's great. But do not make the mistake of thinking that the lessons are going to work of themselves. It's not the curriculum, but your prayers that are most crucial. Rob shared um, a week ago on Saturday, we had our summer ministry celebration. We heard from a bunch of people. And Rob shared last week that while he was on his trip with his son, Ray, to the Dominican Republic, that one of the dads on the trip gave his life to Christ, became a Christian. And now Rob has started to meet with him to help him grow in his new faith. But... No amount of learning or experience that Rob has is sufficient. None of that can make up for a lack of prayer for this new Christian. Prayer is as essential as gas in a car. Without it, you get nowhere. Prayer is as essential as charging your phone. Without it, you have no power. Now, there are a lot of examples of people praying for other people in the Bible, and I want to give just a few examples of those. Moses, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and others pray for people who are in sin, seeking for God's forgiveness and the people's repentance and faithfulness. Jesus prays for Peter that he would persevere in the faith. Jesus prayed for you, for your protection from the evil one, for your sanctification in the truth, for your fullness of joy, 
for our fellowship with him, for our unity as believers. Paul asked other Christians to pray for him that God would give him boldness and clarity and open up a door to the gospel. Paul prayed for others that God would establish them in the faith and fulfill every resolve for good. He prays that they'd be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit and grounded in God's love. He prays for endurance and patience and joy. Now, we're just scratching the surface here. I wanted to lay out these examples of how people are praying for each other in the Bible. The point is to let what you pray be shaped by the scriptures. Not in a wooden way. Not as just some empty recitation of Bible verses. But meaningfully. As you read, I want you to pay attention to the way that people are praying for other people in the Bible. How do they pray? What do they pray? Your prayer life will never grow stale. You will never run out of things to pray if you let your prayers be shaped by the scriptures. Now, how do we visualize prayer? I think in some ways, prayer is like the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. So if I, if I blow this, you can see the effects, but you can't actually see the wind. You can see the paper move, but the wind goes unnoticed. Most of our praying is unseen. We pray during our devotions and we pray throughout the day, but most of that goes unnoticed. Yes, we pray at church and we pray at mealtimes, but that should not be the bulk of your praying. Amen, somebody? Where's Vivian? Amen? So we pray, and most of it goes unnoticed. But like the wind, prayer has an impact. Even though we can't see the prayers, we can see the impact of those prayers. But sometimes it takes time. There's a delay. Isabel, will you come up here and help me for a moment, sweetie? So I built this little air cannon. You can build one of these at home yourself. Just get a little cup, cut a hole in the bottom, and put a rubber band, or sorry, balloon on the bottom. Okay, so watch, watch Isabel's hair. I'm going to try to shoot you on this side if I can. <laughs> Did you, don't go anywhere. Did you see it? <laughs> she certainly felt it. I'm going to see if I can... No. Here, hold on. Let me put your hair like this. <laughs> I can't shoot any if I can't see it. Okay, here we go. Ready? Did you see it? Okay, so I tried to build a bigger one of these things and it totally failed. I wanted to have like a cannon that I could like shoot you all from the audience. The point with this little illustration is to say that there is very often a delay between our prayers and the impact that they have. And sometimes that delay can be years. I prayed for my dad's salvation for 10 years before he became a believer. My auntie and uncle prayed for him for 40 years before they saw the answer to that prayer. Prayer can have a delay a delayed impact. Now, this illustration, it's not perfect because we don't just pluck prayer one time and then wait for something to happen. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to pray continually, right? We're supposed to pray continually. It's also, prayer is not like this tiny little puff of air. It's powerful. Mary Slessor learned this by experience. She said this, prayer is the greatest power that God has put into our hands for service. Prayer is harder work 
than doing. At least I find it so. But the power lies that way to advance the kingdom. This is a woman who gave her entire life. She did and went where no one else would go. And she's saying prayer is harder work than doing. You know that's true, don't you? You know how hard it is to pray. But that's where the power is. That's where the power to advance the kingdom is. I want to be like Epaphras. Paul describes him this way. As a servant of Christ Jesus, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, Colossians 4.12. This is a guy who toiled and labored in prayer for his fellow Christians, both in his city and in others. Or I want to be like Grandma Yui, who was so faithful in praying for all of us. We all felt her prayers. Let's give ourselves to praying for one another. It would be great to see more people using our prayer email, asking for prayers so that we can be praying for one another. And I'm guilty here. I'll be the first to admit. Also, I think we should make a list of people at GFC so that we can be praying for them and the divide it up through the week so that you make sure to pray for everyone. Pray for pastors, pray for missionaries, pray for church planters, pray for the nation, pray for the church, local and global. Make certain days of the week for certain topics. Pray for missions on Monday, pray for the nations on Tuesday, and so forth. Why? Because at the end of the day, prayer takes effort. And just like anything else, we need to be intentional about it. So make a list and work through it so that we can cover all these subjects in prayer. Turn your conversation into an opportunity to pray. Conversation with your spouse, your kids, your Christian friends. Get used to and make it a habit of saying, you know what, let's pray about that right now. Let's pray about that. Whatever it is that you're talking about. And then actually pray about it right then and there. You see, prayer is like a marriage or a friendship, a relationship, right? It requires both discipline and spontaneity. I plan times to talk with Sarah. We plan to go for a walk as many evenings as we can, and we just know that's our time to talk. But I also talk to her at other times that it's not planned, and in that way we talk to each other regularly. That's how prayer should be, because we plan to pray at a certain time every day and because we spontaneously pray throughout our day to the Lord. So we pray for one another. Now listen, This is not the most glamorous ministry, but it is one of the most powerful ministries that you have. Second, I want to speak briefly about the ministry of encouragement. You minister through encouragement. I want you to notice first that John tells Gaius that he's praying for him. He tells him he's praying for him, and that in itself is an encouragement. I shared this a couple weeks ago, but someone uh, shared with me that they were praying for me, and I can tell you that was such an encouragement because it came at just a moment where I needed that prayer. And to know that someone was praying for me was so encouraging. You know, it's okay to tell people you're praying for them. I don't think you're going to lose your reward for that. It's an encouragement to them. And I want you to notice that John also makes it a point to tell Gaius, he's telling Gaius, I rejoiced exceedingly that you're walking in the truth. I've got no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He didn't have to say that to Gaius. 
But he did. Imagine with me for a minute that a close friend comes up to you and tells you, you know what? I see you living your faith. I see you living your faith, and it gives me such joy. Man, if someone said that to you, wouldn't that encourage you? Wouldn't that make you want to keep going, to press on in, in faithfulness? Telling Gaius that he rejoiced to hear he's walking in the truth is a great encouragement to keep going. Now, in the second uh, half of this, our text today, and our third point, we're going to see that that John commends him, he praises him for his faithful ministry. I just want to point out what John is doing right here in this letter. He's encouraging Gaius. The New Testament tells us four times, encourage one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. And Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. That's how often we need encouragement. But how often do we fail to call out the good that we see in other people's lives? the times that they do what's right. Now, let's be real. We rarely miss an opportunity to point out people's mistakes. But how often do we fail to encourage others? And when you see a fellow believer walking in the truth, celebrate that. Celebrate the wins as John does with Gaius. Rejoice in it. Tell them about it. Encourage them. Make it a point to look Make it a point to look for the good in your spouse, in your siblings, in your children, in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look for the good, and when you see it, celebrate it. Rejoice. Tell them about it. Encourage each other with it. Big and small, it doesn't matter what it is. If you hear your son speak an encouraging word to his sister, thank him for it and celebrate it. If you see your daughter helping her mother around the house, celebrate it, rejoice, encourage them. We get more of whatever it is that we encourage. So encourage one another and pray for one another. So we've seen John's ministry of prayer and encouragement for Gaius. Now I want to look at Gaius's ministry of hospitality and support. Third, you minister to others by hospitality and support. We see this in verses five through eight. Look at verse five with me. John says, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Again, John is encouraging Gaius. Notice that. But we also learn from Gaius' example of faithfulness in his hospitality and his support. John says, It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So John commends Gaius for his faithfulness, in all of his efforts for these brothers, that is, in his ministry to them. And we know that these brothers have gone out for the sake of the name, that is, the name of Jesus. Now, we don't know if they're missionaries or church planters or itinerant preachers, but whatever it is, Gaius is supporting these traveling gospel ministers. Now, I just need to stop here for a second and say, now, why in the world would anybody leave everything behind and go out for the sake of the name? They would go and do that because it is the greatest thing ever. They would go and take the good news, the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins, to die on a cross in our place for our sins so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have peace with God, so that we would live forever in heaven. 
We call this good news, but I was thinking about it and I was like, this isn't good news. This is the greatest news. It's always been the greatest news. It's still the greatest news. It's worth sacrificing everything for. It's worth going for. That's what they're doing. Man, yeah, it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. So Gaius is now supporting these these gospel ministers, he says, and John says, all your efforts. That's really vague. We don't know everything that Gaius did for them. Certainly John knew, Gaius knew. It seems like he's encouraged them, he's prayed for them, he's opened his home to welcome them and to meet their needs. Why do I say that? Well, it's clear they needed a place to stay. They're not from this area, they're traveling through. And we don't know how long it was before Gaius sent them on their way, but all of this implies that they stayed with him. So Gaius welcomes them with hospitality, supports them materially and spiritually. This is a good work. And all the more so, John says, strangers as they are. In other words, Gaius didn't know these people. They weren't old friends. These were Christian workers in need of help. It's easier to love the people that we know. Amen? But Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. John calls out here. Talk about encouragement. John is calling out this special grace in Gaius' life to care for and love these people that were complete strangers to him. At least at first they were, anyway. And this is an illustration of Jesus' words. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Matthew 25 35, Jesus explained, truly as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As I was thinking about it this week, this, this passage, I was reminded of what Grace Anderson shared at our um, summer ministry celebration last Saturday night. She had been doing uh, VBS type ministry uh, all summer up in Wisconsin, and, and their team was working with different churches and going to different areas to put on uh, this, this ministry and she shared how they were hosted, welcomed by different families each week, and how these Christians, who were strangers to them, they, they, they fed them, they housed them, they supported them while they did this work of ministry until they moved on to the next area. But they did more than just provide a place to sleep and food. She shared a story uh, about how one host in particular prayed for them while they were dealing with a difficult person. And how God answered this person's prayers, not by changing the situation, but by giving their team the grace and the patience and the ability to do their work despite the challenging relationship. Like Gaius, these hosts gave both material and spiritual support to these young Christians who had chosen to give their summer to gospel ministry. Like Gaius, this was Christian love in action. Nothing fancy, just faithful. It was tangible and practical. Love is this lofty word, but it's lived out in very mundane actions. Like providing a meal, like praying for people. Now, the Christians that Gaius helped, they went and shared it as a testimony to the church just like Grace shared it as a testimony to our church. And hearing these God stories not only glorifies God, it inspires us to go 
and get engaged in ministry ourselves. Now, in verse 6, John urges Gaius, saying, you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So when we ask, well, how much should I do for someone? This is the measure. This is the standard. Send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It's a way of saying, do everything that you can for them. Whatever that might be, whatever level that is, whatever you can do, do everything that you can do for them. And to send them on their journey would include things like supplying food and money and means of travel and traveling companions. In short, send them out with provisions to meet their needs. Paul was dependent on churches to send him on his way. And so we we see here too that so were many others. Now, this is just one of many, many examples in the New Testament of hospitality ministry. Hospitality Using your home for ministry was the very heart of the early church. Now, we might not host traveling ministers. That might not be something that we do. Nevertheless, we can all, all of us, can use our home to welcome and support and encourage and pray for and strengthen other believers. Every one of us can do that. Now, Gaius must have discerned that these were faithful Christians laboring in the truth and the true gospel because as we saw last week in John, 2 John 10, If anyone doesn't bring this teaching, they're not to receive them into their house. So not just anybody is to be welcomed and supported. Some people were false. And as Christians, we're not to put up with false teaching, a false Jesus, or a false gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. But those who preach faithfully are worthy of support. And John gives two reasons in verse 7. Look there with me. For, because they've gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So they've gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. They're seeking to to make disciples for his glory, not their glory. Their motives are right. Their ministry is gospel-centered. They want to see the gospel advancing among the Gentiles. That's a challenging work. It is a worthy work that glorifies God, and so it deserves support. Second, they've gone out accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They're not looking for support from the people that they're trying to reach. Here, Gentiles means non-believers that they're trying to reach, presumably so that they don't put a stumbling block in front of the gospel. They're not peddlers of God's word, so they need their brothers and sisters to support them in this work. I want you to notice here then that there are criteria used to evaluate who you should support. Is it a gospel-centered ministry? Is it a Christ-centered ministry? Is it a faithful ministry, preaching the truth? Are they giving them entirely to this work? And if so, John says we should support them. And that's his conclusion in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we might be fellow workers for the truth. Gaius has done well in providing hospitality and support for these ministers. We should do this. It's vitally important for us to do this to carry out the mission that Christ has given us to reach the world with the gospel. There's a partnership. Look at this. We become fellow workers for the truth. When we support these ministries, we become partners with them in that ministry, and that's a third reason to support them. We, we, we take part in this way, in this ongoing work of God to spread the gospel, to spread the kingdom near and far. I think about this as like the supply lines in a military campaign. There have been many wars in history that have been lost because the, the army 
did not have any supplies. The supplies failed, and the army could no longer advance. Our support for these ministries is the supply line for God's soldiers on the front lines of gospel ministry. I share this illustration because this helps us to see the importance, the value of prayer and support for missionaries and church planners and itinerant preachers like our own Rob Reno. This is mission critical. Without our prayer and our support, the work cannot continue. So give as much as you can. Send people in a manner worthy of God. And again, this critical need for support is another reminder to make sure that the ministry is faithful, it's quality, it's Christ-centered, it's biblical. Supporting people like these is encouraging for us who support them because it helps us to have a broad impact, even a global impact. So a week ago Saturday, we heard from all these people. We, this summer, we had people that went to the Czech Republic, the Dominican Republic, Spain, Poland, all over Wisconsin, locally in the Chicagoland area, as well as a couple of different places in Illinois. And it was just so encouraging to hear all the stories of how God was at work, of God's provision, how he answered prayer, how he was at work through their ministry. I think, of, I think also of VFM, reaching families with the gospel. Just last night, they had a family worship night to encourage families. And part of the purpose of that ministry that night was to connect non-believers with believers so that they get them in the same space so that they could make connections with Christians, see how they worship, see what it's like, see what this Christianity thing is about so that they could hear the gospel. But more than that, their ministry is focused on helping families to raise up their children in the faith. That's gospel-centered ministry. It's disciple-making ministry. Or we could think about Karanda, that missions project, these long-term missions projects where they're Yes, they're healing people at a hospital, they're, but they're not just there to meet physical needs. They're there to meet spiritual needs. It's a light for the gospel. We can think about Mission Eurasia and all the work that they're doing in Ukraine right now, meeting humanitarian needs. But that's not their ultimate aim. Their ultimate aim is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in addition to all of that, we could add to that list all of the other ministries that I know you are all supporting. I know you're supporting a variety of ministries. If we put that all these ministries on the list, that list is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. The point is, is that together, when we work together, supporting, we become partners and we have this broad impact for the gospel. It's encouraging. It's so cool. Of course, the caveat here is that giving generous support to such ministries, that's not a substitute for doing ministry yourself in your local area. It's not a substitute for us ourselves engaging in ministry to our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. We still have to do that work. Amen, somebody. Amen. This isn't like a, well, I don't share the gospel because I give to this other person who does it. Mm-mm. Both and. Amen? Amen? One of the stories that was really encouraging was from Eliana, who was in Spain. She shared this story about this this young Christian, or this young girl who became a Christian through the faithful ministry of a Christian neighbor over time who just built relationship with her, lived her faith in front of her, got to the place where she could share the gospel with her, and this young girl became a Christian. Now, why was that so encouraging? That was so encouraging, at least for me, because I looked at that and I was like, we can all do that. Like, every one of us should be doing that with our own neighbors. 
like right now, here. God put these people in our lives purposely. Like you live across the street from who you live across because God wanted you to interact with those people. He wants you to build relationship with those people. And God, in his time, will open the door for you to share the gospel. And he'll give you everything you need to do that. But we can do this. We can do this ministry. This is all we're talking about this morning. We're talking about praying for people and encouraging people and opening your home to people and supporting people. It's all very ordinary, yet powerful, because God uses it to advance his kingdom. Don't you want to be a part of God's work? Don't you want to join the ranks of fellow workers? Amen. The likes of Priscilla and Achilla and Urbanus and Timothy and Apollos and Titus and Epaphroditus and Clement and Barnabas and Aristarchus and Mark and Justice and Epaphras and Luke and the church in Corinth and the church in Philippi and so many others who remained unnamed in the New Testament. You see, we forget that Paul was not alone. We, we focus on all that Paul did to advance the gospel, but he had so many fellow workers who supported him and prayed for him and ministered side by side with him that whole time. We read biographies like that of Mary Slessor, but she herself said that her work was only possible because of the support of the Scottish Christians, especially their prayers. This is not a fancy sermon by any stretch of the imagination. There is nothing extraordinary about the things that our text is teaching us to do. And yet, when we minister to others with prayer and encouragement and hospitality and support, then God does extraordinary things. God answers prayer and he builds faith and he advances the kingdom and he wins people to Christ. God takes and multiplies our ordinary ministry so that it has a powerful impact None of what we're talking about is glamorous, but it results in something glorious. Really, the question comes down to one of faithfulness. Will you be faithful like Gaius and so many others in all of your efforts for your brothers and sisters? Will you be faithful to pray and to encourage and to show hospitality and to support gospel ministry, both materially and spiritually? And if you're doing these things, beloved, press on because it's a faithful thing that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you for what you've done for us in Christ and calling us to yourself as your beloved children, setting your love on us. We thank you and we praise you that you, you care about us, that you have your eye on us, that you hear and you answer our prayers. We thank you and we praise you that you've called us into the work that you're doing in the world and you give us a part of it. You give our lives purpose. You've created each one of us with good works for us to walk in. And we just thank you for that. And we just ask and pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be faithful in all of our efforts for our fellow Christians through our prayers and encouragement and hospitality and support. It's awesome, and we thank you that we get to be, we get to be fellow workers for the truth. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would grow and that your church would be built up. We want to see that. We want to be a part of that, all for the sake of your name, all for your glory. So we ask for that, we pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...
Amen.